is there any differentiated effect of trade in employment by gender? Hi, I'm Clémentine Vanifontaire. I'm an assistant professor of economics at the University of Toronto, and this is Inequality Talks. Pamela Medina is an assistant professor in the Department of Management at University of Toronto Scarborough and the Rotman School of Management. Her research focuses on how factor market distortions shape firms' decisions to produce and trade, and what are the implications of these distortions for growth and the effectiveness of industrial and trade policies, particularly in developing and emerging economies. For this second episode on trade and inequality, she helps us answer an important question. What are the impacts of trade openness on female workers and on gender inequality? Thank you so much, Pamela, for joining me today. Really excited to have you here. Thank you so much, Clementine, for having me here. So as you know, in this series, we are trying to investigate the distributional consequences of globalization. So how globalization affects inequality. And specifically, the reason why I invited you is I wanted to talk about how globalization affects gender inequality in developing countries. Could you please tell us what was kind of the starting point of this study and how you started thinking about these questions? So we started with this project based on the large literature that exists in trade, thinking about the impacts of trade liberalizations, of import competition in labor markets. There is a really large literature looking at this in developed countries, particularly in the U.S., but also there is literature thinking about this in developing countries. The reason why we think trade will affect labor market is because trade inevitably is going to touch the profitability of firms. It's going to represent labor demand shock for firms. If they see affected their profits, they are going to cut costs and probably they are going to lay off some workers. So we know that, for instance, thinking about trade liberalizations in other developing countries, the effects in employment have been important and have been mixed. So we started with that, but we wanted to, to think about a different layer, which was that this effect the trade could have on employment could be differentiated by different characteristics of the worker. People have studied this by skill, for instance, blue-collar versus white-collar workers. But we think that gender might be another characteristic that might make this effect different. And the reason why we think this is happening is that in developing countries, workers face different frictions or like how easy it is for them to move jobs depending on their gender. So we wanted to we were very open when we entered this project and see is there any differentiated effect of trade in employment by gender? And second, are these effects temporary or do these effects persist over time? Specifically, the context of your study is Peru. Can you tell us more about the labor market in Peru and in particular the types of jobs in which men and women are employed, for instance, and why it matters for the trade shock? Peru is a particularly nice empirical scenario where you can study the differentiated effect of trade in gender because the composition of the manufacturing sector in Peru it's very heterogeneous on the gender intensity of industries. What do I mean with this? You have very important industries for the Peruvian economy, such as textiles of apparel, 
that are very female intensive, meaning that they employ a relatively large ratio of women to men in the production process. But also you have other type of industries that are as important in the manufacturing, you know, grid of the country, which are chemicals or metal manufacturing, which are more male intensive. So this heterogeneity effect allows us to understand, you know, if you have a trade shock that's going to affect differentiated industries, how women and men are going to respond differently. Other developing countries, such as Mexico or Brazil, they have a much more concentrated manufacturing structure in male-intensive industries. So when you try to, to assess the effects by gender of a trade shock in these countries, this trade shock is mostly affecting men. So we don't see the other part, like if this, if this shock were to affect women, what would happen to them? So I think Peru, in this sense, provides us a nice setting to answer this question. La minute technique. So in this podcast, researchers take about one minute to explain one technical aspect of their work. And before we dig deeper into your empirical analysis, I wanted to ask you if you could explain in simple words what could be the theoretically the impact of trade liberalization or the increasing globalization, if you want, in developing countries specifically in the labor market. Well, trade can affect the labor market through the mechanism of affecting labor demand. So basically through the reaction of firms. This reaction of firms could take different ways. And the literature has been very clear about what are these avenues. One way could be that, you know, as we have seen examples who works in Mexico, for instance, that trade liberalization has led firms to change the technology that they use. And in changing that technology, they also change the composition of the labor force that they need to produce. So there is one paper that looks at the Mexico maquiladoras. The Mexican maquiladoras became more important in the economic structure of the country while there was an increase in female participation. You can also think about, you know, the standard trade effect, which is trade is going to affect differentially different industries that are going to be exposed to a trade shock. And even without no technological change, there will be some reallocation of production or activity across industries. So some industries will benefit from trade if they are exporting more. Some industries will be negative hit if they are faced with more import competition. The industries that grow are going to attract more workers relative to the industries that are shrinking. Uh, this is going to imply a reallocation of workers, right? Workers are going to move from the adversely exposed industries to the growing industries. But the problem is that the baseline gender intensity of these industries could be different. So that is where maybe there's particularly differentiated effects by gender. So to investigate how globalization affects the labor market outcomes of workers in Peru, you use one specific shock of globalization, which is called the China shock. Could you please tell us more about this and what are the benefits of using this shock in Peru? Yes, the China shock has been, it's a, it's a widely used shock in the trade literature, and it means different things for different cases. So in the U.S., for instance, it meant decreasing the uncertainty of the tariff that Chinese goods were going to face when entering the U.S. market. 
in the case of Peru and other developing countries, this was not true. What, what happened is that China in 2001 acceded to the WTO, so became a member of the WTO, and immediately it got access to the most favored nation tariffs. So there are tariffs that all these countries that are part of the WTO apply to each other that are much lower than to the rest of the world. Up to 2001, Peru was putting some tariffs in China that got reduced once China entered to the WTO. The important thing is that this is not an aggregate shock. So tariffs are heterogeneous, so they vary industry by industry, but actually by product. So the amount of the reduction of tariffs once China entered the WTO it's also heterogeneous. So then you have industries that were very protected before that now suddenly are exposed to import competition and industries that were not protected, so for them it's not, the exposure is not that much. So this is the variation that we use in order to understand the effect of the trade shock into the labor market. When you were studying this shock in the context of Peru, could you please remind us what are the important aspects that we should keep in mind in terms of data collection or the type of data sets to be used to capture the labor market effects of trade liberalization? We basically use two big data sources. So of course, one is uh, the one that allows us to understand the impact of the trade shock. These are coming from uh, customs data. Particularly, we use country data, which is collected by the United Nations. It's publicly available. And then we combine this data with the Peruvian Household Survey which has data on employment at the individual level. They tell you whether you are employed or not, whether you are part of the labor force or not. And if you are employed, where do you work? In what industry? In what geographical area? And as well if this, this type of job is formal or even informal. And this is super important for developing countries. Peru has 70% of their employment in the informal labor. So without considering informality, this we will miss two-thirds of, of employment. So could you please tell us more about your empirical approach to measure the impact of trade liberalization on labor market outcomes and specifically how you address a potential threat for the identification strategy? We construct the trade shock at the level of a local labor market which is a geographical area in Peru that is similar or it tries to get at a commuting zone. So a geographical zone where workers uh, look for jobs. So the way that we construct this shock, because basically Chinese exports are at the industry level, is to first construct what will be the industrial composition of each local labor market. So what we do is we look with this household data we look at what percentage of employment is attributed to a particular industry, and we keep that at a period that is pre-China accession to the WTO. So such that that, is, that share is not going to be contaminated by the effect of the shock. And then what we do is we have imports by industry. So we wait, we create a measure that weighs this import by industries through this share of initial composition at the local labor market, such that we get a, a shock that's geographic, specific, and time-specific. So what is varying here is just the imports by industry. 
course, there is a second identification threat, which means that, you know, it could be the case that these exports from China to Peru are not exogenous, that Chinese firms were looking at the local labor market conditions in these Peruvian geographies when they decided what to export. So that is a little bit unlikely because, you know, Peru is not a big player in the grand scheme of things of what Chinese firms are deciding to export. But still, there, is, there could be an identification threat. So what we do is we follow Otterdorn and Hanson and we instrument this measure by using non-imports that are originated in China coming to Peru, but also what other countries that are similar to Peru, either in Latin America or other middle-income countries, are importing from China and use those imports to construct our instrument. So in a nutshell, what was the experience of workers who were exposed to this shock? It was bad. So we first analyzed what happened with the labor force participation and employment overall. In the short run, what we call like four years after the shock, and in the long run, it's about 10 years after the shock. And the effect is negative for the average work. Then we disaggregate this effect by gender, which is our goal in the paper, and we see that in the short run, both female and male workers are being similarly negatively affected. But in the long run, that's where we get this bad news. This effect does not persist for men, so for 10 years later, men were able to, we don't have a negative effect on employment or labor for participation, but we still see positive and significant effect for female workers. We say, okay, so what happened? Why did the effect did not persist for men and did persist for women? And then we examine what happened with these men and what happened with these women that were affected by trade. We decompose this effect by education levels. We see that this is all coming from low-skilled or low-educated female or male workers. And then we see that when we think about what, why the effect did not persist for men, we found that these men that were displaced by the trade shock in the short run eventually are absorbed by expanding sectors within the manufacturing sector. Women, on the other hand, some of them are moving from manufacturing to services. Most of the jobs that they're going to take are in the informal sector, so very likely having lower quality labor conditions. And some of them are completely expelled from the labor force. And so these, we think that it are very dire results, even that there is already a large labor force participation gap of female and male in the country. What are the things that you try to do to explain these effects, these differences, gender differences in the reaction and also the reallocation of workers? Is there some potential mechanisms that we can think about that would help us understand what's going on? We try to look at different reasons and differences between these workers, that, male and female workers that were displaced in the short run 
and why some of them could enter into an expanding industry within the manufacturing sector while females couldn't. What we think that is more important is that which were the sectors that were growing when China expanded? In other words, what were the sectors where Peru started to find a, an opportunity of business to export to China? Because Chinese opening meant that we got hit with the imports from China, but also we could export to China. So those sectors growing are sectors related to mining. So everything about metals, chemicals, a lot of sectors related to oil as well. And all these sectors on baseline were already male intensive. So what we think, which is suggestive evidence, we think that what happened is that both women and men were displaced, but unfortunately, given you know social norms or could be technology, many different factors, that sectors within manufacturing that they could go to did not employ many women. So that led women basically uh, without uh, labor force opportunities that men were able to grasp. That doesn't mean that men were not affected. When we also check, you know, what happened with wages of these men that were moving to these expanding sectors, and they were not going to, you know, better jobs. They were still affected in terms of income, but, but they were able to find another job within the formal sector. So I guess what we're learning is that these labor market frictions are really important in mitigating this shock and that the previous allocation of men and women across different industries is going to matter a lot. So I wanted to ask your thoughts about how we can better incorporate that into policy as a sort of response to mitigate the detrimental effect of trade globalization on workers and more generally having your thoughts about the sort of follow-up work you're interested in in investigating these shocks in the long run on other types of outcomes. I think trade economists have understood from a long time that you know the distribution against from trade um, we have pushed for what we call these trade assistance programs that mean basically you know we have, there are going to be displaced workers or within that we can either train them or you know, have some policies in place that allow them to swiftly just move to expanding sectors. In this case, what I think could be done is to recognize that it's another dimension that they should consider when we think about these training programs, for instance. These training programs are targeted for everybody, but I think in terms of gender, what do you do if you're a woman, you can be qualified, but what if you do if there are no other opportunities in the manufacturing sector, well, maybe the way to do it for women is to think about, okay, let service is the one that is going to be able to give you a job, but we know that many of the, the jobs in services are in the informal sector, and what we need to do is to think about, okay, as a government, we might want to, to reduce the, the amount of informality that we have in the service sector, which at the end are the ones that are going to attract women. There are also other potential policies. So you, you asked me about extra work or additional work. We're having a follow-up project with this paper thinking about, you know, if these effects are very persistent for women, they might affect other decisions that also are long-term uh, decisions of, uh, of a woman. For instance, fertility or, or marriage decisions. 
And well, we use a different data set that it's about marital status as well as uh, fertility. What we found is that these women that are affected, lose their income, leave the labor force, also delay this marriage decision and delay or decrease the, the fertility decisions that they have to take, meaning that they have kids older or they have less number of kids than they would have been. And so one that makes you think that a different type of policy might be, you know, to think about decreasing the time that women have to spend in the household, think about child-rearing policies. But this is sort of like work in progress, um, but that will be also particular to gender. So before we wrap up, I wanted to ask if you would be willing to share a recommendation with us, a book, a movie, or anything that you like and inspired you. Yes, it's a, I've been thinking about this a lot. And, and I wanted to recommend something about Peru because I think a lot of my research is in Peru. And I think it's sometimes very important to understand the context of a country to be able to, to read into our research. And the book that I want to recommend is actually a novel. It's a book that I think all Peruvians have read because it's a book that uh, they make you read in school. It's a, it's a child's book. It's a child's story that couldn't be published as a child's story because it's too sad. It's by the Peruvian poet called Cesar Vallejo. It's called Paco Yunque. It's a very small story, but it's about a kid of an uh, indigenous family that goes to the same school as the kid of, you know, the, the land owner for which his family works. And it's a story about he, uh, obviously, it's, it's poor, but he thinks that education will help, he, help him go up and succeed. So he, they have a, a, a homework, and he makes a huge effort, uh, despite a lot of, like, you know, things that happen into his life, and he makes a really good homework. And then the kid from the rich family steals his homework and presents his homework as his own. This uh, Paco Junque, he knows that he cannot complain because he will not be, like his claim will not be, the professor will not believe it. And then he fails. It's a simple story. It just conveys a powerful message that sometimes in our countries, given the the inequality that exists, even if you put some effort, that might not be rewarded. No. And these are the, you know, the things that, it's the system that we might want to change. All right. Thank you so much, Pamela, for sharing this with us. And thank you very much for this conversation. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. This was Inequality Talks a podcast recorded by Clémentine van in Toronto. I want to thank Aisha Philippe for editing this episode. Music is by The Count. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.